So let me pray for us, and we will get started this evening. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would take what is yours. Your word is truth. Would you take it and apply it to us tonight? Teach us your word. I pray your spirit would be here to, uh, to lead and guide our thinking and our processing. And would you, uh, for each person who's listening, I pray that uh, your spirit would have one thing for them to take away this evening, something from you to them. So give us ears to hear uh, what your spirit is saying to us. We thank you and pray for tonight's time together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here we go. Stephen drew a picture. Uh, this was a few years ago. Death passed over. So this is, that's a doorway, I think. Right, Stephen? That's a doorway. It's passing over the door. Yes. Okay, good. We're still in Exodus. The word on the book is redemption. You see that tonight very clearly. Uh, our big idea for tonight, remember, uh, if you're our guest, uh, welcome. Uh, I'll try to give you a big idea for every book, and then I'll try to give you uh, a big idea for every night. And so the big idea for tonight is, dun, 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 God frees his people to follow him. That's the big idea for tonight. The whole lesson should be pointing, aiming at God frees his people to follow him. I want you to, for some of you, it'll be a long time, you'll have to remember, if you came to Christ uh, as a child, as a for example, but remember that time when you, you would say you crossed from death to life. Remember that time? Let's think about it for a second. If you can remember that, that year, if you can remember that, those months surrounding that, do you remember the excitement you had? To, you were rejoicing in the freedom that you had been given by God. And you probably told everyone you could find because you were so excited about this newfound freedom that you had. So tonight, we're going to see this in the text. God frees his people to follow him. I, I remember for me, this was uh, the spring of 1986. And um, let's see, how old was I? 86. I would have turned 25 in September. And so I was 24. Never remember anything you can derive. See, so in 1986, I don't have to remember how old I was. I just have to remember how to get there. So in 1986, I would have been 24 in the spring, uh, newly come to faith in Christ. And I remember such a hunger for God's Word, and I remember such, such a desire to be like Him that he was my master and that I was the apprentice in that, in that sense. I wanted to read everything I could. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to be like him um, back from 1986. So I know in my own heart, as you do too, that God frees his people 
to follow him. Uh, he doesn't just free us to say, see you later. He has, uh, as others have said, a wonderful plan for your life, and he does. He wants us to follow him. So God frees his people to follow him. Let's do a little bit of review. God's people are growing desperate in the first four chapters. They're enslaved by a very powerful Pharaoh. And last time we looked at the different Pharaohs in and around the Exodus story. They're unable to rescue themselves from his power or from his persecution. They're without hope apart from God acting. They're feeling an increasingly desperate need for deliverance. That's a key, an increasingly desperate need for deliverance. And so we have what is called the Exodus. It's the book of Exodus, but it's also the Exodus. It's one of the most significant events in the whole Bible, the Exodus. And the Exodus occurs three times. Three times. Once, right here. Second, when they leave Babylon. And third, in the end times. God is going to have another Exodus where he's going to bring his people out. Three times this Exodus thing shows up in the Bible. We're looking at the first one, the one where they're enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. I want you to think about this a little bit like a spiritual drama, okay? Uh, a play, a drama. All right. The players. We have on one side Pharaoh. He's the god, quote unquote, of Egypt. They see him that way, and that's basically how he is referred to and understood in that culture at that time. He's the god of Egypt. What else do we know about him? He's a murderer, right? He's already killed off the little Hebrew children. He's a liar. He's a bondage keeper. He rejects God's word and has contempt for God's people. So on the one hand, if this was a, uh, what do you call that? Fake wrestling. I, I mean, it's not fake. Yeah. You know, in this corner, we have Pharaoh. In this corner, we have Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron represent Yahweh, the one true God. Remember, God said to Moses, because Moses Remember, he kept saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, okay, I will. And God says, you will be as God to Aaron. Aaron will be your mouthpiece, but you will be as God, and Aaron will be your prophet, basically. And so Moses is representing God, and his prophet is Aaron. So those are the players. What's the stage? Yahweh's people are prisoners in Egypt, and Moses and Aaron make a request on Yahweh's behalf for the prisoners to be released. I know you know this. They provide an authenticating sign. 
Pharaoh says, oh my goodness, I didn't realize. I'll let the Hebrews go. No, that's not what it says. Their request is refused by Pharaoh. Thus, Yahweh declares war on Egypt with the weapons of supernatural plagues called signs. The stakes in our little drama tonight. The stakes each God is putting up his firstborn. Those are the stakes of this war that Pharaoh has brought on himself. For Pharaoh, it's uh, probably Amenhotep, and it's uh, Amenhotep II's firstborn son, and Yahweh's firstborn son, Israel. These are the two firstborns that are what's at stake here. Israel will win or lose, or Pharaoh's side will win or lose. Someone's going to win, someone's going to lose in this battle. Let's talk just a second about the plagues. What were they? Uh, They are signs. That's how they're listed for us. They're listed as signs, which are supernatural miracles with special significance. Um, You've probably all seen the Moses movie, right, from the 50s. Um, who's the guy? Charlton Heston, right? And Yul Brenner as the Pharaoh. And there's a time where, remember when um, Pharaoh says, I too was afraid, until word came from the cataracts that there was red mud that went in the Nile, and that's what turned it red. And is it any surprise that then fish die and that... Uh, frogs jump out and stuff happens to bloat upon their carrion. Remember that great kind of English accent for an Egyptian. Um, (laughs) And Pharaoh concludes that these were all natural things happening in their order. The truth is, that's not what happened. These were all supernatural signs that God did. They are supernatural miracles with special significance. They're also called wonders, miracles producing, or that should produce, wonder or awe in those who witness them, and specifically wonder or awe regarding Yahweh. And these kinds of signs and wonders are always given by God to authenticate a messenger and or a message. A messenger and or a message. Three big times signs and wonders show up. One is here in Exodus. One is at the time of Elijah and Elisha. And one is at the time of Jesus and the apostles. That's it. Why would God use signs and wonders here? Because he's authenticating Moses and Aaron as his messenger. 
and their message, let my people go. Elijah and Elisha. Why would God use signs and wonders in Elijah and Elisha's time? Because they're headed for the cliff, and he's saying, you'd better turn around and go the other way or it's going to be bad news for you. You'd better listen to Elijah and Elisha, and I'm going to give them supernatural signs to do to get your attention. Then there's another big long break. And then Jesus and the apostles show up, and more are done. Why? Jesus saying, I am the Son of God. And God says, listen to him. He's authenticating his messenger and his message. Three big times in the scriptures where signs and wonders show up. They don't show up other than that. These three times. If you'd like a little more info, if you'd like to know, uh, I'll just read it to you. It's so much fun. Hebrews 10. Sorry, Hebrews 2, 14. Hebrews 2, 14. You say, how? I have 2, 14. Is that right? I think it's 2, 4. It's 2, 4. That's a typo. It should be 2, 4. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. So if he has a messenger or a message to authenticate in the Scriptures, then there are signs and wonders that temporarily accompany that. With the Scriptures being completed, our messenger and the message has been authenticated and done. Three distinct periods in Scripture. This is the first one, first time these kinds of signs show up. Let's take a look at the plagues just a second. Why did God use them? Chapter 7, verse 5, to reveal Himself, His incomparable person, presence, and power. He used them to reveal Himself. Remember, they were to inspire awe and wonder, to deliver his people, right? That's that's what he wants. He wants his people to go, go free, and to receive from them, to receive from these ones who will be free, the joyful surrender of their wills to his. In other words, their voluntary allegiance, obedience, And worship. That's what he wants to receive from his people. He wants, basically, in shorthand, this is also a New Testament concept, he wants them to be his bond servants. Now, a bond servant in the New Testament, uh, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same here at this particular time, but in the New Testament, a bond servant is, uh, so let's say I was going to be a bond servant. I would go to the door jam of, of the house, and I would place my ear on the door jam, okay, on, the, on this part, okay? I'm going to get my ears pierced. That's what's going to happen here. And then the master, to whom I wanted to be a bond servant, would take something sharp, 
maybe a, you know, a nail or an awl and jam it through my ear in, into the door, into the door frame, and that would signify that I was now his bondservant. So it was kind of a serious deal. But this is what God wants to receive from his people. He wants to receive, don't miss this, he wants to receive their, the joyful surrender of their wills to his. In other words, their voluntary allegiance, obedience, and worship as his bondservants. That's what he wants. That's why he's using these signs and wonders to free them so that he could bring out his people. All right, back to the drama. So the battle begins. Uh, these are very familiar to you. Again, if you've watched uh, Charlton Heston battle Ewell Brenner, you've seen all these. Uh, it's interesting in here, in, there's going to be three rounds, three rounds of um, signs and wonders. And in the second two rounds, Goshen, which is where Israel was living, seems to have been um, protected from the bad signs and wonders. Now, it's possible that they were uh, caught up in the first round in Goshen. It's also possible, it's just not mentioned, and they were protected from the first round as well. Don't know. At least in the second two rounds, they're protected. Maybe they are in the first round also as a demonstration of God's total protection of his people. But I don't know. doesn't say. So Yahweh begins persuasion, round one, where he says to Pharaoh, I am Yahweh. So he sends the plague of water and turns it to blood, which he told Pharaoh ahead of time with a warning was coming. Now, the Nile River was the life-giving force of Egypt. Maybe it was a god, maybe it wasn't, but it was at least the life-giving force of Egypt. If you're attacking the major artery of a being, you're going after the so-called jugular. Yahweh begins his persuasion by going after the jugular and saying, I'm going to turn your life stream your life force into blood. There's then the plague of frogs. God also gives a warning about the, uh, the frogs coming. There was actually a goddess, I, I'm not sure I can pronounce this correctly, but it might be something like Heket. And this goddess uh, was in charge of resurrection and fertility because you wondered, well, so what if the frogs jump in the house and in the beds? That's weird. Well, <laughs> if there's frogs in the bed, <laughs> not going to be a lot of fertility going on. <laughs> and so God has really attacked this goddess where, where she lives, so to speak. Okay? 
So there's the plague of water turning to blood. There's a plague of frogs. The plague of gnats. Yuck. Uh, There's defilement. It was even defiling the priests, their priests. And if a priest is defiled, then they cannot lead or worship. That's a problem. That's a problem for the priest. So the gnats, there's no warning given. So God gives warning, gives warning, then no warning. What's the result? Pharaoh says, I will not let the Hebrews go. God says, okay. Persuasion, round two. I'm going after the land of Egypt. I've told you about myself. I'm able to do these amazing things that should inspire, Pharaoh, your awe and worship. But instead, you're resisting me. So he says, got it. Let me go after the land and let's see how we're doing at the end of this one. So first he sends the plague of flies. Uh, Perhaps it's a gadfly. I'm not quite sure what that is. But whatever it is, I'm pretty sure I would not have wanted to be in the middle of it. Israel and Goshen are not affected. They're spared these next six plagues. But God sends a plague of flies. Then he sends a plague. It's kind of disputed. You're welcome to write a paper on this if you'd like to. Uh, It could be anthrax. Don't know. But it's really not good for the cows. And the cow goddess Hathor uh, would have been, um, if you will, um, neutralized in this particular plague. And Apis, the sacred bull, would have also been uh, neutralized. So God, again, is going after the things that they think are critical and key for their their worship and the good fortune over their land because they're subscri- or ascribing it to multiple gods and deities. And Yahweh says, nah, don't think so. It's me. If I can, if, if I can uh, pin, you know, if you're wrestling, back to the wrestling thing, if I can pin your God to the mat, I'm stronger. And that's what God's doing. He's just pinning him to the mat. I win. I win. I win. He's going at it over and over and over. So he gives them a warning of the flies. He gives them a warning of whatever the disease was. And then he gives them a plague of boils, no warning. So again, we see warning, warning, no warning. And in this, he seems to be attacking the gods of health and healing. The gods of health and healing are powerless to stop what God is doing. He's pinning them to the mat again and again and again. He attacks their gods. Well, Pharaoh again says, after this, uh, the Hebrews aren't going. Sorry. Not going to let your people go. So God says, okay. Round three. I'm going to expand it, and we're going to talk about things that are a part of the world, not just a part of Egypt. And so he gives a plague of hail. He warns them, and he says, I'm going to bring a plague of hail. Now, the Egyptians had a seemingly a sky goddess called perhaps, perhaps 
it's, it's probably not pronounced nut, but kind of looks like nut. The sky goddess, nut, he's just uh, stolen all of her power because he's making it hail and, and nut can't stop it. Then he brings the plague of locusts. He has them, I mean, he's, he's demolished their land. Can you imagine this? Uh, we've got um, first the hail destroys everything, and then what's left, he sends locusts. He's going to eat the little broken stalks and everything that's laying on the ground. I mean, imagine if you were an Egyptian person. There's hail coming. It's just destroyed everything, except for this one area called Goshen. It's destroyed everything, and now you think, okay, whew, at least that's over. <laughs> Imagine you hear <laughs> this giant swarm of locusts comes and eats up everything else in their whole entire land, except for this little area of Goshen. Then he brings a plague of darkness with no warning. In this, he seems to be going after the chief god of Thebes, the sun god Amun-Re. And if he's the sun god, but Yahweh can turn his light out, then Yahweh wins again. And so in every one of these, this competition between your so-called gods and me is on. So now we've been through nine plagues. They go in three cycles, warning, warning, no warning. And at the end of every one, Pharaoh says, nope, they're not leaving. So God finally says, I got one more round. I got one more plague. And it's going to be the plague of the death of the firstborn. And it'll either be my son, Israel, or yours. He gives Pharaoh a warning, again, as an act of grace. Pharaoh, I'm warning you what I'm going to do. I've already done nine things, and you haven't been able to stop me. Do you not think I can pull off this one too? And so as another act of grace, God steps in and says, warning, I'm going to do this thing. You've asked for it, and I'm going to give it to you. Pharaoh, by this time, is beginning to mm, weigh out his options. <laughs> uh, he hasn't submitted himself to God's word and God's will. He's still opposed to this. He's hardened his heart again and again and again and opposed God and what he's doing. And so he offers Moses, over uh, a few chapters here, he offers Moses four compromises. Here are the four compromises. First, he says, well, why do you have to leave? Just worship here in Egypt. No biggie. Right? God had already told Moses, no, we're going in the wilderness. So, no deal on the compromise. But Pharaoh is offering the compromise. Just worship here in Egypt. He gets a little more desperate. And so he says, well, just don't go too far away then. If you're going to go, don't go too far away. 
but he still won't let him go. Okay, Moses, here's what we'll do. Leave your families here, but the men can go worship. And Moses says, nope, <laughs> not doing it. Leave your families in Egypt, final one. Leave your flocks and herds here. You all can go, but everything you own needs to stay right here. And Moses says, nope, we have to offer sacrifices and they're of our animals, and we don't know which ones God's going to pick. So we've got to take them. Be mindful of these four compromises. We're going to come back to these. But there are four compromises that Pharaoh is offering to Moses instead of what he's supposed to be doing. They're really traps. If Moses... Moses is, Pharaoh is trying to set a trap here for Moses. So the final plague is announced in chapter 11. The final plague is executed in chapter 12. For God's people, this meant they were to purchase an unblemished lamb on the 10th day. Then they were to shed its blood on the 14th for their protection. And then they were to eat the food, the, the, the meat of the lamb for their provision, food for the journey. So this, uh, this lamb was the purchase, the protection, and also their provision for the journey. And by chapter 12, the people are delivered, leaving Egypt as free women and men. And did you notice the little thing where it says um, uh, the, um, the Egyptians were so inclined toward the Hebrews that they gave them a whole bunch of gold and silver? You're like, what is that? <laughs> Lost wages. God was paying them back. He's not even going to miss his people's wages. The people are delivered, leaving Egypt as free women and men. Unbelievable what God has done. And he does it through signs and wonders to convince Pharaoh and all of Egypt of his messenger, Moses, and his message, let my people go. And so chapter 12, the people leave Egypt. Well, let's talk about this just a little bit. Let's make some applications on this big idea. God frees his people to follow him. And we'll see in the next chapters, he's going to call them to follow him all the way back to a place where Moses was before, Mount Sinai. So Moses was at Mount Sinai. He came back to Egypt to deliver the people through God's work, and God is going to bring them back to Mount Sinai. Uh, remember it was in chapter 3 where he said, you'll bring the people back here to worship me? And so God's going to bring the people back to Mount Sinai. That's where they're going to follow him. 
And then what does he give them at Mount Sinai? He gives them his law. He gives them his word. And so he's freeing his people to follow him, to obey him, and to worship him. That's what he's doing. Just a little preview, a little look ahead. So God frees his people to follow him. Big idea for tonight. Oh, this is so fun. Their redemption is a picture of ours. So the Passover, if you've never been uh, able to go to a Seder, S-E-D-E-R, Seder meal, we offer three opportunities here, one at Fort Worth, one at West Campus, and one at South Campus. Those are coming up in April. If you've never had the chance to go to a Seder, I would encourage you to go. There is so much symbolism in the Passover uh, that you don't want to miss this. Uh, David Teitelbaum, he is a Messianic Jew. He's part of our congregation. Uh, that means that he was, he's ethnically Jewish, came to faith in Christ, and now he uses his, um, his background and his understanding of um, the Hebrew culture to help Christians understand the symbolism that's going on in the Passover. It is fabulous. If you've not gone, please go. But David Teitelbaum is going to do that in April. So the Passover, faith in God's Word led to their obedience. Whose idea was this? God's. What did they have to believe that would, right? What do they have to, I should probably say, nah, that'll give it away. Who did they have to believe <laughs> to put the blood on the, on the doorposts? They had to believe God. God said, this is what I want you to do. So by faith, they believed what God said, and they put the blood on the doorposts. So their faith in God's word led them to obedience. They picked out a lamb, and four days later, they would have um, executed it. It brought them safety through judgment, through its blood, strength for the journey because it was eaten or, if you will, dwelling within. It led then to the feast of unleavened bread, which is a symbol of a new lifestyle. If there's no leaven, then there's holiness. So where there is leaven, there is not yet full holiness. And their redemption led to worship and obedience. All right, I'm going to draw you a picture. You're going to love this picture. It's not all that fancy or complicated. But I'm kind of a visual person. So I like to see... I like to see things. Okay, hopefully, Andrew, that's all within the shot. Okay, here's Egypt. Who's in charge of Egypt? Egypt. 
And God says, I'm going to free my people, and I'm going to do it in the tenth plague. And so, here's what I want you to do, my people. I want you to take a lamb, and I can't draw a lamb, so I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to sacrifice it. And I want you to take the blood. Oh, this is kind of a bad-looking door. Well, this is a doorway out of Egypt, okay? Get it? Okay? I want you to take the blood, and there's a lot of discussion on, um, you know, if this, is, if this is the doorway, so we're going to, there's the door. Some people have suggested that the, the blood be put like this. Now, maybe that's true. I don't know. Uh, I know for sure when it says to put, put the blood on the doorposts, that at least the blood, you know, would have probably been done like that, okay? So they would have, in a sense, painted, painted the blood from the sacrificed lamb on the inside of the door. And then what happened is when God looked down and saw the blood of the lamb, he, this is Stephen's picture, he passed over that house, right? I know you, you all know this. You're like, yeah, 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 get to the good part. Oh, gosh. Man, you all. All right. So here's, the, here's them coming out. This is really not a very good marker. Oh, that's much better. Okay, so they're coming out. What does Egypt equal? Who is Pharaoh? What does Pharaoh equal? The ruler of the kingdom of the air, Hasatan. Who's coming in to get the people? God. And how is he going to do it? Well, remember, this is God's idea here, and it's God's idea with us. And so, in grace, God initiates Here's what I want you to do. You have to, you have to obey what I say. And what do I say? I want you to believe me. And I want you to pass under blood. By grace, through faith, under blood. Does that sound somewhat New Testament? If it doesn't, see me after class. How did God deliver his people in these days? 
by grace, through faith, under blood. Whose blood? My blood? Nope. Under the blood of the Lamb. The spotless Lamb. You should have, when you're reading this, you should be going, oh, hey, I could even tell a preschooler about this. <laughs> I have to believe God. He's told me what to do. I have to believe it. And if I believe it, I'll do it. And so he says, by grace, through faith, under blood, I, God, will bring you out from underneath the Pharaoh and his kingdom and bring you into the kingdom of my dear son. Isn't this amazing? You're like, I kind of like my Bible even more. God has, I'm not going to say hidden, he's just put pictures all throughout the Old Testament. Now, what does this, I got to say this, you're going to hear me say this a hundred times. This, uh, in a, what does this mean? There's a difference between meaning and a picture, okay? What does this mean? Well, this means they took the blood of a, you know, little lamb and they sacrificed it, and they put blood on the doorpost, and they walked out from underneath it. That's what it means. But what's the picture God left us that gets confirmed in the New Testament? The principles, by grace, through faith, under blood. God has never saved people different ways. He has always saved people the same way. You have to believe what he says, and then you have to act on that. And if you're talking about leaving Egypt, he's going to get you out of Egypt, but it's not going to be anything you've done. It's going to be under the blood of his son. Oh, this is good stuff. You just need to meditate on this tonight. This is so good. And I want you to, oh, let's see, do I need another picture? Mm, I can't remember. I want you to think about this because you can draw that picture for anyone, you're meeting at Starbucks, you just take out a napkin. You just draw the circle. Remember I told you it wasn't hard or complicated. Just draw the circle and start drawing on it. Everybody loves little napkin drawings. You can talk to people, and you can talk to young people, and you can talk to sages with this same little napkin. Oh, so good. God is amazing. And redemption on their part when he redeemed them, it led to their worship and their obedience. All right. The good news of freedom. For those who come to feel an increasingly desperate spiritual need for deliverance, remember that time in your life. How are you feeling? I don't know the circumstances of, of what was going on in your life. but you were probably feeling an increasingly desperate spiritual need for deliverance. At least I was at 24. I, I didn't have the privilege of coming to Christ as a child, although I went to church 
I asked my mother, and she said, we went 50 out of 52 Sundays. I said, did I ever go to vacation Bible school? Oh, my gosh, every summer. <laughs> mm. I could live in a garage, couldn't I? But that doesn't make me a car. Mm, Selah. For those who come to feel an increasingly desperate spiritual need for deliverance, for those who come to realize they're enslaved by a powerful Pharaoh, they realize they're captives, they're prisoners. They cannot get away. For those who come to realize they're unable to rescue themselves from this Pharaoh's power and his persecution. For those who know they're without hope apart from God acting on their behalf, there is good news of freedom. And it comes through the Lamb of God, the Exodus Lamb, chosen before it was slain, Jesus, chosen before He is slain. The Exodus Lamb was spotless and without blemish, Jesus, spotless and without blemish, tested four days. Jesus has tested 40 days. The Exodus Lamb is slain, Jesus is also slain. The Exodus lamb is memorialized in the Passover. Jesus is memorialized in the Lord's Supper. The Lamb of God, as John said, who takes away the sin of the world. I love this. I've told this in a communion a long time ago. I was getting ready to go to seminary, so it's 1993, and the church that Laurie and I were attending in Sacramento, the uh, pastor emeritus was from Dallas Seminary. And by that time, he was, oh, he's probably my age now. Well, anyway, he might have been a little older. He was, he was a, a mature saint. And I went to him, and we, we would have very brief little conversations. And one time, he, he, there was kind of a breezeway. And one time he came up to me, he saw me, and he said, uh, he said, Mr. Egner, may I ask you a question? I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> sure, go ahead and ask me a question. He says, uh, where are your sins? Uh, sir, <laughs> my sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm going, man, am I cool. I got this one. He's, he's probably so impressed with me. He's just he's going to drive me to Dallas. That's how impressed with me he is. And he looks at me and he says, I'm so sorry to hear that. He says, because then your sins remain on you. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your sin is no longer on you. It's not covered by the blood of the Lamb. It's taken from you, never to be brought up and thrown in your face again. Unbelievable. What a Savior. This is our Passover Lamb. Remember, when you follow Him, though, there will be opposition. It may come through antagonism 
or unfair treatment. I've got stories, you've got stories of antagonism. I told you one time about the, I think I did, the, did I tell you about the guy at the rocket factory after lunch? Yeah, I probably did. It was an elderly man at the rocket factory, and I came in after lunch, and he was there, and he saw me walking down the hall, and he knew that I was a Christ follower, and he yelled at me down the hallway after lunch. He said, um, he said, hey, Christian! And I said, yes. And he said, you need a crutch. <laughs> And I said, yes, I do. Ah. And he, off he went. You will get antagonism if you haven't. If people know you're a Christ follower, you will be uh, sometimes a subject of ridicule. It's okay. It happened to him first. Unfair treatment. The, that abounds also. But here's what I want to focus on for our next few minutes tonight. God frees His people to follow Him. There's going to be opposition, but there are also going to be opportunities to compromise. And they are the same four that were in Pharaoh's arsenal. First, you don't need to leave. Dealing with our separation. If I followed you around for a week or you followed me around for a week, what would I learn? How separate are you? How different are you from your... I'm not saying that, that our, you know, our, our neighbors who are outside of Christ are, are evil or anything. I'm just saying if we look like them and they look like us, something's wrong. Something's not quite right. Separation. Um, it's... If you're saying to yourself inside, it's okay to look and act like the world around us, uh, I would suggest that you might want to pray about that. It's not okay to look and act like the world around us. Pharaoh said, just don't go too far. What's the noun of that. It's a fanatic. If I were to guess, I'm going to guess no one in here wants to be known as a fanatic because that kind of comes with a lot of baggage. But what's our motivation? Is it not to offend unbelievers? Is it to be pleasing to the world? so that they won't think badly of us or our Jesus? Do you remember they hate Him? You don't need to leave, so don't look too different from your, your neighbor who's outside of Christ. It's not all that big a deal. You know, everybody kind of gets their own path. Everybody gets their own truth. Really? You don't need to leave. Just don't go too far. You ever had somebody tell you that? Just don't go too far. 
Why not leave your family here? Live in compartments. The compartment called Sunday, and then the compartment called the rest of the week. Just leave your family here. You know, keep your religious stuff to yourself and to your family. They probably want it. We don't. How about this one? Keep some treasure in Egypt, our materialism. Even for those of us who are on the more mature side of life, healthcare. If you say, you know, one of the things that would keep me from going overseas right now to follow God is healthcare. So I probably won't go. Well, keep some treasure here in Egypt. These are opportunities to compromise. These are traps. These are not good things. Separation, the fear of being labeled a fanatic, living our lives in compartments, and being more concerned with material things, materialism, than we are with following God's Word. God has freed you and taken your sins from you and from me that we would be free to follow Him and to voluntarily surrender our allegiance and our wills to His, to offer Him obedience and to offer Him worship. Question. One to ten. Ten is best. Are you free tonight? One to ten. Or have you become stuck in the flypaper of one of these four compromises? We are free and must live as free women and men in Christ. If you hear me accusing you, you have misheard. I'm simply asking you the questions that I've asked myself. And is there any flypaper I'm stuck on? And if there is, I need God's help to pull that flypaper off so that I will be free and ready to follow Him. Remember Genesis? Remember I told you you couldn't forget anything? Was Abraham a young man? or an old man when God called him to follow? Oh, what? <laughs> and what did God tell this older man to do? <laughs> Leave everything and go to a place you've never seen before that I'll show you. Okay. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I need you to remember how cool Abraham is. <laughs> And when we start thinking, man, I'm just like Abraham. No, really not. <laughs> really not. He was an extraordinary individual. But we can be extraordinary in the power of Christ also. If He calls, if He moves you in a direction and you say, I'm too old, 
the Lord doesn't understand what I've done. Uh, you can name all the things. There's flypaper. Watch out. It's easy to get entangled in this flypaper. God frees his people to follow him. For next time, read Exodus 13 through 18. And we'll have another lesson from the book of Exodus if you want. 18 is a great place to, uh, it's a great stopping point, but I'd suggest keep on going. Keep reading Exodus. But don't get so far ahead that you can't remember. Like tonight, you're like, I read 5 through 12 about four weeks ago. I don't really remember what it said. Don't get that far ahead. You have to stay kind of current so that some of this makes sense. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for coming and rescuing us from Pharaoh and his domain. Uh, you rescued us by grace through faith in the blood of your lamb, the Lord Jesus. And we have been, by your good work, freed to follow you. Would you continue to draw us with cords of love to follow you more wholly, more fully, more completely, minimizing the compromises each and every day? Uh, help us to do that, please. In Jesus' name, amen.